we're here tonight, 12 tribes. We kicked off last week with an introduction to uh, the life and the story of Jacob. And we discussed who Jacob was. And if you haven't heard uh, that, you can go online to sanctuaryfwc.com, listen to our, our last week's teaching. And this one will be online as well. So um, we talked about Jacob and how he was a young man born uh, twin to Esau and how he was a deceiver in his life and in his heart. And he, uh, because he stole his brother's birthright and all this kind of thing, he ends up going to be with his uncle. And in that time period of being with his uncle, he falls in love with a girl. And uh, her name is Rachel. But Rachel, uh, her daddy didn't really want her to get married just quite yet, so he tricked him into marrying Leah, and he ends up marrying Leah, and he was for her for seven years. Uh, he worked for her, and he works another seven years for Rachel, and they get married, but these two girls are fighting back and forth for the love of their husband, uh, and they end up ha- fighting over children. And so Leah has some children, and Rachel can't, so she says, well, here's my maid, my servant girl. She's going to be my surrogate. Uh, 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 you know, my surrogate for my children. And so uh, she gives him uh, Bilhah, which is Rachel's maid. And they have a couple kids. And then Leah gets jealous. And Leah says, well, you can have my maid, uh, Zilpha. And they got to have a couple kids. And finally, uh, Leah has some more sons. And then finally, Rachel has some more sons. So all in all, Jacob will have 12 sons and a daughter through these four women. And we talked to how last week, that's kind of like a Jerry Springer show, right? It's just, it's all messed up in so many ways. And now, one, that was a different culture and different time. But also, God is using a very dysfunctional family uh, to show us how much he cares for a broken, messed up people. And he'll use this family uh, to uh, usher in the coming of his son. And he shows through Jacob's life all this grace and all this mercy and all this favor even though Jacob really, uh, even though he's the father of Israel, and he is Israel, right? His name has changed to Israel. He's the father of the nation. Uh, he's really a messed up dude, and God is really patient in that. So uh, we're going to talk tonight and the next uh, nine, uh, eight more weeks about his sons and their tribe. And tonight, I want to talk to you about Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben. And you have a handout in there. And if you follow along, uh, I'll give you some blanks there. You can keep, keep up with this. But uh, overall, Genesis 29, verse 31. If you've got a Bible, there's some there in the seat with you. But Genesis 29, verse 31, it says this. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, and now therefore my husband will love me. Uh, okay, how many people have had a Reuben sandwich before? We're in the South, very few people, only a couple of people, right? Uh, okay, so he's born of Leah. He's the first son of Jacob. Uh, his name means see a son. See a son. See, the Lord has given me a son. His name is Reuben. See a son. Uh, so think about that next time you eat a Reuben sandwich. And he's born out of this rivalry between Leah and Rachel. Uh, and his symbol is water. Uh, the first one up there on the screen. His symbol is water. Each 12 tribe, each son has a symbol regarding their name or their influence. His symbol is water, or sometimes a mandrake uh, for a story we'll look at uh, later on. 
and uh, his stone is turquoise, and his personality and later his tribe are going to be known by one really big word for us uh, that's going to be fickleness or insecurity or instability, but Reuben's character trait is being fickle. I don't know if you know anybody that's fickle or not or unstable, but he's going to be known as a fickle person, and we're going to look at uh, what the Bible says about fickle and unstable and double-minded people, and look kind of uh, see what lessons we've got. But look at Genesis 35, verse 22. We're going to talk about Reuben's indiscretion. Reuben's fickle. Reuben's indiscretion. Okay, so Jacob and his family, uh, they've got 12 kids now, and they've returned to the promised land, and God has led them to this place. And Jacob's, man, he struggled because his family, he knows that he hasn't been all that he's been, and he knows that his wives are all arguing, messed up. He's got four kids, or 12 kids with four different ladies, um, 13 kids, really. And uh, finally, he's, he's caught uh, idolatry in his family. His sons have killed people for, uh, his, for you know, not nice things, and uh, his daughter was raped. And finally, they're like, oh, God, we got to go back to God. We've got to get back to God. And so they... On the way to get back to God, to take him to the place where God had for his family, and says, God, we're going to go back to the place where this all began in a place called Bethel. And along the way, Rachel would die, giving birth to their last son, Benjamin. And it says, sometime after that, now Reuben, we don't know how old, maybe in his 30s or 40s, Genesis chapter 35, verse 22, it says, It came about while Israel was dwelling in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel, or Jacob, heard of it. Okay, so here we go. Add to this family even more messed up drama. Uh, so the kids all hate each other. You know, they for sure hating Joseph. Uh, the, he's got wives that are competing together for children and for Jacob's love. He's got idolatry he's had to get out of his family. He's got his sons have murdered people. His daughter's been raped. Uh, they're trying to find God. But God's just really holding this family together, revealing himself to them. And then Reuben goes and sleeps with Rachel's maid. Rachel dies, and then so Reuben sleeps with basically his stepmom, I guess, in a sense, which you'd say. Uh, and so, and it says that Jacob heard about it, or Israel heard about it. And then the, the text goes silent. Nothing's ever said. And then it kind of just moves on. But, you know, Numbers uh, 23 uh, sorry, Numbers 32, 23 says what? Be sure your sin will, what, finds you out. You know, there's always consequences for, for our decisions. There's consequences for sin. And in this case, it won't be 20, it'll be 20 years before we see what happens with this. But even still, no doubt that issue uh, worked on Reuben's heart. And probably awkward family dynamics increased. Uh, apparently, uh, it's like a small town. Like, you know, like where we live, uh, people heard about it. Even Jacob heard about it. Somebody knew about it. Somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told daddy uh, that your boy did something not really good. Uh, but Reuben didn't know. So Reuben never confessed his sin. He never acknowledged it. He never made amends. He never acted like it ever happened. And so I think somewhere deep inside Reuben, he repented inside of himself. Uh, he was remorseful, at least for it. And looking. Flip over now to Genesis 37, verse 21. So here we have Reuben. He's fickle. Sometimes Reuben does good, and sometimes Reuben does bad. So fast forward now, 
Reuben has done something not good, and he's slept with his father's wife, not his mother, but his father's wife, and uh, probably feels bad about what he did to his dad. But his brothers, man, they hate Joseph. Joseph is now 17 years old, and Joseph is getting all these dreams from God that, man, dude, you're going to be so awesome and people are going to bow down to you. And Daddy already loves Joseph more than anybody because he's Rachel's firstborn son. And Rachel's his favorite wife, by the way. And so uh, he gives him that, you know, the coat of many colors and, and he brags him. And Joseph is kind of a tattletale, by the way. And so, and his brothers are not very good guys. So Joseph's at home with Dad. He goes out and he sees what all kinds of bad stuff his brothers are doing. Who knows what? And he tells his dad, and his dad gets them in trouble. So they already hate him. I mean, and they hate him so much. Again, such a dysfunctional family. They plot to kill their own brother. That's, let's take it even a step further now. Like we, we're plotting to kill our very own brother. And we're like planning the cover-up process here. That's how much we... How much do you have to hate your brother to actually openly discuss with your other brothers how are we going to do it? How would we cover it up? How would we... I mean, let's, let's think about the reality of that. This is messed up. And so Genesis 37, verse 21, they plotted to kill him. But look what Reuben does. Genesis 37, verse 21 says, But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said... Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. At least just throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. He was thinking, Okay, wait, if I can just tell these guys I'm on their side, all right? I'm not saying he's not a nice kid. I don't like him either. But let's not, he's daddy's favorite. Let's not kill him because you know what that's going to do to dad. So Reuben plans in his mind, Let's just throw him in the pit. And he thinks, well, when these guys are gone, I'll come back and rescue him and make sure he's in daddy's arms and it'll be okay. Because Reuben knows what he did. Think about it. He knows what he did to his dad. He knows how he shamed his dad's uh, honor. And he knows what he did. So maybe deep down, I think, I think Reuben was kind of remorseful and sympathetic towards his dad in that way. I think he probably felt bad for what he did. And now, even though he doesn't like Joseph, he's thinking, well, I'm not going to kill him and hurt my dad even more. I'm going to try to atone for the issues I've done, the things that I've done. And so he tries to save Joseph. But here's the deal. He tries to make amends without confessing his sin. And that never works, right? You can uh, try to atone for something uh, by being a better person without addressing that issue you did. Like, Reuben sinned. Uh, he sinned against his father. He sins against Bilhah. But now he's like, okay, well, I've got to be a better person now because I did this bad thing. How many of you will ever know what that's like? You know, I did something bad, so I'm going to try to make it up. But he never actually confesses it. So fast forward. Judah there, he said, well, let's give another solution. He says, all right, let's sell him to some slave traders. So Reuben goes away. And Judah says this. He's listed him to slave traders. So uh, Reuben comes back. Man, his brother's gone. His brother's gone. He's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to tell my dad? And so he has to go along. Well, he feels. He has to go along with it. So they take Joseph's coat, shed it in blood, and tell their daddy uh, he died. An animal killed him. And so Reuben doesn't ever, ever in many years confess what his brothers did. And this is that fickleness. This is that thing that's like, okay... I know what to do, and I know not what to do, right? I know what's right, I know what's wrong, 
but I'm finding myself not knowing which side of the line to be on. So I've done something wrong against my dad, but I tried to save my brother, but it didn't work. But he doesn't go all the way and say, no, dad, your son, go catch him. He's going down the road right now. They sold him to slave traders. I'm going to turn my, my brothers in and really stand up for truth. He doesn't do that. And I think about how that really relates to like modern day. I think there's times, uh, uh, and, and we live in for ourselves, we live in the world, uh, we, we know what is right to do, but man, when it really comes for standing up for truth, sometimes that moment is really, really hard for people. It's saying, it's going to cost me to expose some sin in my life to really be honest with this person. Uh, and he wasn't really ready to pay that price. Uh, I don't know if you know things in your life you can, can relate to that. But he felt bad, but he wasn't go so far as to expose his brothers and even expose that he had a part in it. And it says in Genesis 42, man, he lived with this for years. He knew deep inside of his heart and his mind. He said, I knew that we would pay for his blood one day. When it come all the way around full circle, we'll get to it in a minute, but he, he said, I know, I knew, I was waiting for the day where we would have to pay for his blood. And he, so he never, he never gives into it. Okay, now look in uh, John or you can just put a pencil there on, on, the, on your notes for John 3.20. Because it says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. How far are we willing to go to do the right thing? Right? Right? Uh, Anybody have any specific examples that you can think about in your life or in, in something else that you're, uh, you've been through? Maybe something that's been done to you. You can say, all right, that, that for sure. I had a person in my life that I knew uh, something wasn't right. And, uh, you know, Jacob knows, man, something's not right with my son. He's done some bad things. But he didn't know really how far Reuben had gone with these guys. And it would be years later, they would find out uh, that, uh, they had, or they had a famine in the land. He would, Jacob would send his sons off to Egypt. And Joseph, according to the providence of God, would be ruler over the land. And Joseph, knowing that it was his brothers and they didn't know it was him, Joseph says, well, give me uh, one of your brothers. Give me Simeon. And he holds Simeon hostage. He says, go back and get your last brother. I want to see all 12 of you here. Uh, before I'll get you, give you this back. You guys are all spies uh, coming into Egypt. Now, Joseph knows this. It's a trick, right? And so he, he goes, they go back, and Judah and all the brothers, uh, Reuben, are saying, Dad, he, uh, he's got one of our sons. We need Benjamin. He's got to see all of us. He won't let him out. And Ju- uh, Jacob doesn't trust them. He's already lost one son, Joseph. Now he's thinking he's lost his other son. Uh, and he's saying, I'm not giving you my youngest son, my last son of Rachel, I've already lost my first son, my favorite son of Rachel. And Reuben says to his dad, he says, Dad, I promise. Dad, I'll promise. I promise. I will get you your son Benjamin back. You can even take my two sons. You can kill my two sons. I'll take it back. But here's the deal. Jacob said, no, I, don't, I, I can't do that. Why? Jacob knew for years that his son had done something secretly. He never confessed it. He never told Reuben he knew what he did. But he did not trust his son. I think that's a failure. One, on Jacob's part to address sin issues. If I know that someone sinned against me, what does the Bible say? 
If I've got something with ought against my brother, it says, leave my gift at the altar, go make amends, go dress those issues. And we talk about uh, three words here at Sanctuary, grace, love, truth. And for us, truth means, man, if I offend you or someone offends me, I have to speak the truth in love to my brother. I, I don't want to let years go by and I've developed uh, this distance. Like Jacob and Reuben had this distance. He's like, I don't even trust your word. How am I going to, I know what you did years ago, and now you're telling me your word is like nothing to me, but Reuben wouldn't even know why. And so here's two men with unconfessed issues with each other, living as father and son, never ever addressing until one day, we'll get to in a second, what had really gone on that caused a rift between them two. And then it would take Judah, the next son in line, and Judah would do the same thing, says, but daddy, okay, I vouch. I'll bring Benjamin back. And finally, Jacob would relent. Wouldn't that be a slap in the face? Like, we think, my, what is my son's? Chopped liver? You know what I mean? Like, I told you, Daddy, I would vouch for Benjamin. I'll bring Benjamin back. And he's like, I got no integrity with you. I know I know what you did years ago, but, uh, but he's never, mess, uh, never said it. And so Judah comes on and says, all right. And long story short, we would find they would discover Joseph was alive. And I wonder what Reuben felt that day. Like, oh, thank the Lord, I'm sure. But at the same time, he's probably thinking, what do I do now? Do I confess that I didn't want to do this all along? Do I tell Joseph, Joseph, I tried to save you because, Joseph, you've spent years, buddy. And I, I, wanted to tell, I, I, I wanted to tell Dad so many times, but I didn't. Then that fickleness. It's like, I know what to do is right, but I don't do it. I, I, I want to do it, and I'll try a little bit. How many people have dealt with people like that? I, I know what to do is right. Sometimes they'll surprise you, uh, and they'll do something good. But more often than not, you see more and more disappointment and disappointment and disappointment. Okay, so look in Genesis 49. You with me? Somebody say amen. All right. Genesis 49. Okay, so here we got this fickle guy. We're trying to figure Reuben out tonight, apply him to our life. He's fickle. He did a bad thing with his father's wife, but yet he tried to make up for it by saving Joseph. And then he didn't go all the way through with Joseph. And then he tries to save Benjamin, but his daddy's lost trust for him. So he's trying, you can kind of see, you know, he's trying to make it up. He's trying to be a good person, but he just won't step out. So here we find at the very end of Jacob's life, the very end of Jacob's life, he gets all of us, and he knows he's going to die. He gets all of his 12 sons in a row. And I'm, I'm thinking they're probably in a line. You've got Reuben at the front, and then Judah and Zebulun go, going on and on. And the very end is Benjamin. So here's Jacob. He's really, really old. He, he's standing up on his, he's holding his staff. He's sitting on his staff. And he's about to perform this great act. He's going to, by the Holy Spirit, bless his sons. And we know that there's this big covenant that God has given uh, Abraham and, and the descendants, right? It's the covenant that you're going to be a great nation and you're going to multiply and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you and I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And basically inside of that little nugget, that inside of that covenant is the seed of the gospel that Jesus Christ is going to come through this lineage. And Reuben, knowing this from his grandpappy and his great-grandpappy, uh, Abraham, Isaac, now Jacob, he's thinking, I'm the oldest. I get this thing called the birthright. The birthright is I become the priest of the family. 
I become the patriarch of the family. I'm the leader of the tribes, and I get a double inheritance of dad's estate. Whatever all the other kids get, I get double. So if they get two cows, I get four. If they get six sheep, I get 12. That's how that works. I get the double portion, the priesthood, and the role of patriarch, the prince, the authority. So I get the authority, I get the priesthood, and I get the land. And daddy stands on that, on that stand, on, a, on his staff, and all of a sudden, he's about to speak. Look at Genesis 49, verse 3. Reuben, you are my firstborn. My might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, and he went up to my couch. This is my next son. And I can just like, uh, it's been 20 years. Can you imagine? 20 years, your daddy's never said a word. You didn't even know your daddy knew about your sin. You tried to save Joseph. You tried to save Benjamin. You tried to be a good guy, but you never went all the way, and you never repaired that relationship. You never confessed it. You never repaired it. You never made direct amends to the people you harmed. And even then, you didn't come out and confess even to Joseph or anybody. Joseph, I wanted to save you. I wish I would have told daddy sooner. I wish I would have just ran down the, uh, the slave traders and got you back. I, I wanted to save you, but, but yeah, you didn't. You know, want to ain't the same as doing it. And we can have those conversations with those that are wayward, you know, in our family sometime. Yeah, I, I know that you want to, but I need to see the faithfulness and fruitfulness out of it. Words are one thing, Reuben, but action is another, right? And so I can imagine him sitting there going, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Daddy. Stop the Holy Spirit prophecy thing for a second. Let's, what's, what, is, what did you just say to me? 20 years, he's shocked. His past is caught up with him. And he says, Reuben, you are fickle. You are unstable. You're like a boiling, turbulent water pot. You are ungoverned in your impulses. And his dad's last words, his dad would go down the line, say one thing, and we're going to look at each thing that his daddy says to all the 12 kids. He says it all to 12. He rolls over, puts his feet in his covers, closes his eyes, dies. The last thing his dad said to him was, you are like turbulent waters, and you will not increase. Anybody, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you ever had a, a bad relationship with a parent who died and it wasn't repaired? Can you imagine what he's going to live with now for the rest of his life? That what I have done, because I didn't deal with it, can't be undone now. It's been, it's, it, his dad finalized it. And... Uh, the result of this is his birthright would be gone, priestly leadership role, his double inheritance would be due. And here's, uh, here's what's going to happen, and I think you've got some blanks on your handout here. The result would be dwindling in power and size. Judah would receive the princely ruler part, uh, the authority part of his, uh, of his firstborn inheritance of his, of his birthright. Levi would receive the priesthood, and Joseph would receive the double inheritance. His two sons would be called Ephraim and Manasseh, and they would each become a tribe. They would have, Joseph and his lineage would have a double portion. He would have two sons, and each would become a whole tribe. And so Reuben lost everything. I think it's uh, important to note is that uh, sometimes we think we can fix our mistakes uh, our own way, 
But, you know, uh, sin has consequences. Even with the best intentions, you know, uh, you know sometimes people ask me, uh, you know, I know, Pastor, you know, God forgive me, but, but so-and-so won't. I know. I'm sorry. God will forgive you. But there are consequences for your sin. You know, you go out and, and as a teenager you have uh, extramarital relations, you have a baby. Yeah, you can be forgiven and have sa- get saved and get into church, but you're going to still have that baby. You still have responsibility for that. You, you, you do drugs and you get a felony criminal record. Yeah, you can come out and God can save you and deliver you and will accept you in the church, but you may not get that job that you want. There are always consequences for sin. And even Reuben... Uh, specifically, his was unconfessed sin. And I think if he had just... What would it would have been like if someday when it was really bothering him and on his conscience, if he had went to his dad and said, Dad, here's what I did. I'm so sorry. What do you think his dad might have said at the end of his life? Maybe he would have pronounced somewhat more of a blessing uh, that instead of Reuben living with this unconfessed issues, never having resolved, never having resolution, and if Reuben had just changed his behavior to say, guys, I, I'm going to stand for righteousness, and when I say something, I mean it, and when I'm going to do something, I'm going to follow through with it. But, unfortunately, that's not the case. It was too late. So, how many people know that uh, there's a phrase called, it's almost Father's Day, it's called, like, father, like son, Right? Uh, some things in our life gets passed down to our children. You know, if you are around, if your mom or dad was a very angry alcoholic, uh, chances are there were tendencies and behavior. Now, not that you will become an angry alcoholic, but there are ways you've learned to respond to anger. There are ways we've learned to see, we've, we look at our parents, we learn love. We look at our parents and learn how we uh, respond to people who hurt us. We look at our parents and we learn uh, just behavior, how we treat a wife, how we treat a husband, how we parent our kids, how we balance our budget. All of that is passed down through our kids, whether we know it or not, or whether we realize how much our parents actually did affect us. And this fickle trait, whether you want to say it was relational or biological or you want to say it was spiritual, this fickle trait is passed down to a whole generation uh, of people. And again, so not only beware your sin will find you out, it's not. It's beware your sin may translate to a new generation. So look at this. Let's talk about the tribe now of Reuben real quick. So Reuben becomes fickle. His dad basically curses him. And then we've got a whole tribe uh, that comes after him. Let me get to that. There we go. Instability is passed all the way down, and it becomes something that's marked as a stamp of that tribe. So we fast forward. We go into the exile. So they go, uh, the tribe increases in Egypt. We go, we find that they become enslaved in uh, a new Pharaoh's day. And finally, Moses leads them and all the 12 tribes out of Israel. Then comes a day where Moses and Aaron get challenged. They get challenged by a son of Korah, who is a Levite. And they say, well, why should you lead us and all this kind of stuff? And two men of Reuben, two men of Reuben's tribe, uh, Dathan and Abiram of Reuben, join this guy named Korah. And so what happens? God causes the ground to swallow up and take these men, uh, these three men and their entire household. And then he causes fire to come out and consume 250 guys that were with them. And he makes an example of this whole 
uh, rebel, fickle nature that one, yeah, we're going to follow Moses, but yet, no, no, we changed our mind. We're not going to follow Moses. And Jude says, he says, in the last days, in Jude chapter, or it's Jude's one chapter, Jude 4 and, and verse 11, he says, beware, in the last days, there are going to be people just like these men from Reuben and Korah. They're going to sneak into the church. They're going to promote loose living or basically saying you can get away with things because of the grace of God and it's okay to kind of have secret sin issues. It's okay to kind of get away with those things. He says, in the last days, men like Reuben, who aren't going to be full of integrity, they're going to sneak in and water down the gospel uh, and they're going to pull people away and even so far as that they would rebel uh, against Christ. Well, that's a great thing to be known for, right? Hey, you're, you've led people to, to do this. So he challenges Moses, and then go on. By the end of the wilderness time, Moses, look in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 6. So Reuben's fickle. His first time we see about his descendants, it says, or they're challenging Moses. God swallows them up in, a, in, a, in the ground and burns up the rest of them. And the next time we hear about it, it says that Moses has to pray. At the end of Moses' tenure, he prays. He says, let Reuben live and not die. What does that mean? Apparently, between this time period of them beginning and ending, Reuben, instead of increasing like other tribes, had gone down uh, over 3,000 people in size. That they were, Moses was noticing to some degree that they were dwindling. And he's saying, let this not be a trend, God. Let Reuben live and not die. So due to their dwindling size... One author says it's probably because there was unstable behavior uh, in their ranks. So even the size of their, uh, of their tribe begins to dwindle. You know, when you have unstable leadership, nobody can thrive. I don't care if it's an unstable father or an unstable mother. That home will begin to crumble. It's, it, there's something about that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't overcome those issues, but dwindling size, instability, fickle behavior, up and down behavior... Uh, doesn't promote increase. And then the, probably the most important thing we're going to end on tonight is this. Numbers 32, verse 4. Numbers 32, verse 4. So finally we get to the very end. We finally get to the moment where, man, we are about to receive the promised land. We have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We've become this tribe, but, we're, man, we're struggling with our leadership instability we're decreasing in size. Oh, and yeah, don't forget about those guys that got swelled up by the ground when we rebelled against Moses. So let's not do that again. Uh, so let's get our act together, guys. We're about to go in the promised land. Moses is, is uh, going to die soon, and we've got a new guy named Joshua. So, hey, you know, it's just across that river over there is the place, finally, God has promised for us. Numbers 32, verse 4. He says to Moses, the Lord, Reuben says to Moses, the Lord has conquered this whole area for the community of Israel, and it's ideally suited for all of our livestock. We have found favor with you, so let us have this land, they're talking on this side of the river, as our property instead of giving us the land across the Jordan. And Moses says, do you intend to stay here while your brothers go across and do all the fighting? Moses asked the men of Gad and Reuben. Why do you want to discourage the rest of the people from Israel, of Israel from going across the land the Lord has given them? Reuben gets to this point, he's, but he realizes, man, we, you know, we got it pretty good. We've got pastures, we've got sheep, we've got a lot of cattle. We're kind of a bunch of farmers anyway. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of bad guys on that side of the land. But right here, 
this almost into the land, this pasture area, it's pretty good for us. So uh, uh, Gad, a little bit of the people from Manasseh tribe, and the whole tribe of Reuben, which is pretty small by now, they say, let us, hey Moses, what if, what if we stay over here on this side of the river, this side of the promised land, just outside of it, and y'all go ahead and go on in, take the land, enjoy it, be fruitful, multiply, have a good time, brothers. And Moses is like, dude, we've made it 40 years. The finish line is right there. And you want to quit? How many people had that conversation with somebody? Dude, you're about to graduate high school. Why don't you just keep going? Or, hey, you've almost made it through college. Just stick with it. Or, hey, how about you just finish the job you started at work because you're almost done? What are you doing giving up? I mean, fickleness, man. It's like this perseverance and faithfulness and persistence and making it to the finish. How many people know somebody that has the trouble making it to the very end? They get almost there. And they quit. And he's like, you're going to settle for second best. He says, no, I'm not going to let you discourage everybody else. And they say, well, we'll go fight with you at least. And Moses says, yeah, if you go fight with us, sure, whatever. You can come back over here. And Moses is mad. He's, he's, he's thinking God done killed people from you people before. He can do it again. Don't just, just watch. But Finally, they, yeah, okay, sure, we'll go fight with you. So they do. They make a promise, a bond. They have to go fight with their brothers in Canaan, which they don't win everybody anyway. And they come back and they settle. And I was thinking about this today. How many Christians are settling for second best? You know, think about that. How many Christians are settling for second best? I think on one side over here, there are Christians who are fighting and they're warring and they're crying out for help. And on the other side, here's Reuben. All he's interested in is hearing the cry of his sheep. He's interested in his car, his house, his money, his pasture, his land. He's settling on this side of heaven, right? And then there are other Christians who are warring and fighting and trying to take the land for God, waiting to get to the promised land that God really has for us. Can you see how that really plays out in today's society? There are, there are people in the, this day and generation, especially in America, they're like, you know what? The American dream is pretty good. It's good enough. I don't really have to care about missions or witnessing or being all into church because this land, what I've got right here, God, is good enough. I've got my sheep, I've got my cows, I've got my house, I've got my wife, I've got my kids. And I think Moses, who is typically a symbol of Jesus Christ, is saying, God has not called you to settle here. This is the land God has promised. It's called heaven. And we are to war and battle and not quit and to stick together until we've all met the promised land. That's a preaching message right there. But, but that's what happens. They've settled for second best. And you know what happens? Reuben, Reuben gets the smallest of all the lots. And it says that uh, even though they help their brothers take the land initially... We never, from this moment on, hear any more about uh, Reuben multiplying their cattle. We never hear about Reuben doing any major war or having any major victory in their life. And in fact, we'll go on and say, Reuben will never produce a prophet. They will never produce a military leader. They will never produce a judge. And they will never produce one single important person in the history of Israel. Why? Because they settled for second best. They didn't go all the way with God. 
And if that doesn't describe a whole generation of people today, I don't know what does. We're fickle. We can, we're satisfied with just good enough. I'm just good enough a Christian. I'm just good enough a giver. I don't have to go to missions or really be involved. I'll just give off the top when I feel like it and I feel guilty. You know, I, I'm not all in with God or all into his mission or into warring or fighting or struggling or hearing the cries of my brother. I'm just focused on the cries of my own sheep. And he turns from the cries of his brother, and he turns to the cries of his sheep, and he settles outside the land. And for that reason, God doesn't bless that tribe. Seven. That's right. That's right. Kingdom of God suffers violence. That's good. You have to have some kind of a fight in you. And, and Reuben, even you go back to Reuben, and even in his fight for Joseph, as an example, uh, he didn't have the true fight. He had. A, he wanted to save Joseph, but he wouldn't go so far as actually to turn his brothers in and go all the way and run down the road to get him or discover where he went, or told his dad where he went. He would go just enough to look good, but never really settle for it. Now look in uh, Judges chapter 5, verse 15. This is the last text we'll look at, and we'll open up to some more discussion. They never take part in the future struggles of their nation. And this comes out in the Song of Deborah. And uh, we can't go into the whole story of who Deborah and, and all that she did and all that, that was. But Deborah was a judge. Uh, years later after Joshua. And she would kind of head up the tribes a little bit, and there would be this great battle. And she would call these tribes together to help her fight. And it says in Judges chapter 5, verse 15, because now they're settled on the other side of the river. You know, when you separate yourself from people, it's really hard to be united. And Judges five fifteen says, The princes of Issachar, she's singing, and she says, The princes of Issachar, the one other tribe, were with Deborah and Barak, the general, They followed Barak, rushing into the valley. But in the tribe of Reuben, there was great indecision. Why did you sit at home among the sheepfolds to hear the shepherds whistle with their flocks? Yes, in the tribe of Reuben, there were great indecision. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a song about you? And your song on the radio is, You are an indecisive person. You did not answer when people, other people needed you. Why? Because you were fickle and you were unstable as turbulent water. And it was passed down from generation to generation to generation because this family, this genealogy, never learned faithfulness, accountability, confession, and persistence. Uh, Their tribe was never a cohesive whole. They rarely made decisions to help other people. They rested idly with their flocks while the nation was at roar. And their sheep's cry took precedent over the cry of their brothers. And this, again, reminds me, and this song reminds me of a people who are often uh, participating in their church at a distance. And for instance, some people can, can do well to help their church. Uh, and then at other times, in different campaigns and different programs and different outreaches, they won't be there. Uh, they'll be indecisive. They'll be unstable. Uh, and how many... Uh, like we asked before, how many are settling for a second best? So I think this is, a challenge. this is a challenge for me, just saying, all right, is there any area in my life, one, Heath, is there any area of unconfessed sin? What does Jesus say that we should pray every day? God, forgive me of my sin as I forgive those who sinned against me. 
I need to leave my, altar, my gift at the altar. I can't go to God in prayer if I know there's something between me and my brother or sister. So I need to go, like uh, Reuben should have went back to his dad, and he should have confessed to Joseph his failure to save him. He should have confessed all these things, and perhaps he would have taught his generation below him, his sons, what an honest man of integrity uh, and owning up to your mistakes and owning up to your failures and what blessing comes when we do that. You know, James even says in, in chapter 5 that when we confess our sins, it actually produces healing. That's when you're supposed to go to an elder, uh, someone that's spiritually mature that you trust, and not just confess it to God, but to confess it to someone else who you trust. That, that confession actually promotes a blessing uh, from God. And that's not something we teach very often in the church because we're not, you know, we say, well, we're not Catholic. We don't have confessional boots. But there is something spiritual about confession. Now, you shouldn't just, again, put it all over Facebook like some people uh, or tell it to someone that, you know, might go tell the whole town. Uh, but how many times is that uh, maybe in our life, uh, if we have unforgiveness, we have bitterness, we have uh, animosity, we have fear. You know, the devil loves to take issues that you've done. He says, you know, I know what you did way back when, and, and I know that, and, and only if everybody knew who you were and everybody knew what you were really like. And just like what we read uh, earlier, uh, if we bring it to the light, John three twenty, man, when I can come to Christ and say, you know what, I know I am a messed up sinner and I'm not afraid to tell people. And devil, you can't hold it over me because when I bring it to the light, it's exposed. I'm not ashamed anymore. God knows, people know, and uh, sometimes we, we hide our past uh, in shame and we live with that guilt and we live with that, 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 well, really a lack of blessing in our life. But if we could just come to people like at our recovery ministry uh, just across the road, one of the things that we do every week Every person in that building, we, we confess, man, you know, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I've struggled with, you know, alcohol or codependency, or I've struggled with, you know, sexual addictions, or I've struggled with, you know, anger or whatever, whatever, and that God has delivered me from that. And we, it's okay, I'm not that person anymore, so I'm not ashamed to confess it. Does that make sense? Like, if I'm not dealing with it, I'm like, you know what, that's who I was, but I'm confident in Jesus Christ, this is who I am now, because why? Everything is in the light, and when it's in the light, God can bless it. Amen? So he never came to the light. And so what happens to Reuben, from that day on, he doesn't help Deborah, he doesn't ever help. He's concerned about his own life, his own self, never goes all the way. He's fickle, he's inconsistent, he never finishes something he starts. He teaches it to his whole generation. You know, they would help Saul get king. That was pretty good. They'd help David become king. That was pretty good. But they would never amount to anything more. From after that moment, they would align themselves uh, with the split kingdom. Solomon's son would divide the kingdom. The ten tribes in the north would align themselves with a, a person who wasn't David's line. They'd, they'd align themselves with a, a rebel general. Uh, and they would fall into apostasy. They would create their own idols. They would create their own new Torah, their own new Bible. They would follow it. And some authors think it was in this time period, Reuben gets so small because they never stood for something. They got so small that even the tribe of, of Gad uh, pretty much just enveloped them. And it would be uh, a couple hundred years later uh, that this big nation of Assyria would come. And Reuben being on the outside, if you can kind of see the map there, Reuben is on, uh, this, side of the, uh, on this side of the river. 
Assyria would come, and they're the smallest part. They would come and take them away, uh, and they would disappear forever. Some faithful people who were remnants inside of that tribe, no doubt, came to the southern tribes, but ultimately Reuben is gone away uh, into exile, deported, and they never produced one prophet, military leader, judge, important person in the history of Israel. And the, the one verse in Scripture that really comes to mind is James 1, verse 6. It says, When you ask God for wisdom, be sure your faith is in God alone. Don't waver. For a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea. Who do you think he's talking about? That is blown and tossed by the wind. What did Jacob say about Reuben? He was like turbulent water. He said, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. It's prophetic. And, it, and you could say, well, man, that's kind of mean, God. But it's, again, it's the result of his behavior. I don't think Jacob was really uh, cursing Reuben in a sense that the Holy Spirit through him was proclaiming this is the consequences for who you are. You have not brought things to the light. You have not confessed your sin. You are continuing an unstable secret behavior. And you are divided between doing right and doing bad. As a result, here's a prophetic utterance from the Lord. You will never be blessable. And I think we can talk to people in the world today and they can come and say, well, man, my life's such a wreck. It's blah, blah, blah. It's, it, it's because you're not blessable. You can't. Yeah, you're always losing a job. Yeah, you're always in between relationships. Yeah, you're always, things seem to never be working out because you are divided inside of yourself. If you would just sell out to Jesus, bring everything to the light, confess your sin, and bring yourself into a place of blessing. But until that day, all you can expect is continued defeat, continued insignificant, and continued decline. And that's Reuben's story. Um... So I wrote you two, two lessons I think can affect Reuben is this. Number one, we should remember from Reuben, sin can have a tragic, long-lasting effect, and instability leads to obscurity. Instability leads to obscurity. Sin can have a long-lasting effect. Unconfessed sin can have a long-lasting effect, and even confessed sin still has consequences but instability always leads to insecurity. And that's why I think David prayed in Psalms 51 when he sinned with Bathsheba, basically doing the same thing in a lot of ways that Reuben had done, slept with his best friend's wife, had his best friend killed, by the way. And what did he pray in Psalms 51? He said, God, you know, one, create in me a clean and pure heart and basically forgive me of my sins. But then he prayed, God, create a steadfast spirit within me. Steadfast means persistent, faithful, dependent. As in David, if you ever read the Psalms, you ever notice David's like, Lord, you're wonderful. Oh my gosh, Lord, where are you? Oh my gosh, Lord, you're wonderful. You ever notice this in the Psalms are kind of bipolar? They are. That's, all, that's because he's human. So the psalmists are, most of the Psalms are bipolar. In the beginning of the song, he's happy, everything's great. In the song, oh my gosh, where the heck is the Lord? I don't know what I'm going to do. Everybody's against me. Everyone wants to kill me. Oh, but God, you're so great. You're like, what in the world is up with you, dude? Take some Prozac or something. Like, I mean, he's, he's kind of like that. But what does he pray in Psalms 51? He's saying, God, create in me a steadfast spirit. 
I'm going to challenge you. That's something to pray. That's something worth praying. God, keep me, keep me like a rock. Man, build my life on faith and persistent. Let me be faithful, God, that I'm not going to be up and down kind of a Christian. And, and it's okay, yeah, mountains come, valleys come, but at the same time, my spirit can be steadfast. God, I'm going to be sold out for you. I'm going to finish. I don't care if it's highs or lows. God, I'm going to finish this. And Lord, I'm going to let everything in my life, if I fail, Lord, I'm going to be open with it. I'm going to be honest with it. And I'm going to tell people I'm a failure. But yet, you know what? I'm going to be steadfast with the Lord. And even if it's a high day, God, I'm not going to be prideful and all that. God, I'm going to be steadfast with you. So God, create in me a clean and pure heart. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And Lord, let me have a steadfast spirit. Confess your sin to the Lord quickly. Make amends directly with those you sin against. And ask God for faithfulness. Ask Him for a steadfast spirit. Because I tell you all, just to be honest, I talk to Christians all the time uh, in the last 12 years of full-time ministry that, you know, their life is in chaos. They love the Lord. They want to go to heaven. They can, they're, they're saved. But it's just like their life is never blessable. It's like they never catch a break. Now, sometimes we go through Job moments where God is testing us and purifying us. But sometimes people are, uh, what do they say? You know, you make the bed, you sleep in kind of a thing. You know, you, you, are, you are living with the consequences of your own instability. And I love you and you're saved. And, and you may be saved. But yet there's a lot of blessing you're missing out because you're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. You're high, you're low. And there are medical cases for that. And I believe in, you know, the bipolar thing. Uh, bipolarism is a, is a real issue. You know, my background psychology. I, I believe you should take medicine and all that. But I think there's something deeper in that. And maybe that was Reuben's issue. Maybe it was bipolar and it wasn't diagnosed in that day. But we know clearly, spiritually speaking, he should have done some things, spiritually speaking, and made amends and made it right, and at least been blessable. It's okay to have highs and lows. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to have manic moments and be happy and excited and very busy and want to clean your house at 3 in the morning. I don't care. Keep it clean. That's great. But, but there's something about integrity and faithfulness and persistence and undivided loyalty to God. Let's say, God, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to be open with it. And God, I'm going to go with you to the very end. Amen? Amen. Any questions, comments on Reuben? We've got a couple minutes left. You say, hey, man, that, that, 